Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined by EJ Snyder, the site's lead draft analyst. EJ, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. We're post-Christmas, which is a celebration in amongst itself. Uh, no matter what you feel about the holidays, it's kind of nice to be past it sometimes in certain regards. There's parts Absolutely. you want to keep and parts you want to let go. I'm happy to be letting some of those go this year. Uh, but in general, I am fine. Nothing to complain about and nobody to listen to those anyways. So I am fair to Midland. Well, we are here to listen to those complaints if you had them, but I'm glad that you're keeping them on hold because we have some complaints about the bears we have to get to and hopefully some stuff that we want to focus on. But first, let's get the beverages going. Uh, You said before the show that you got a new brewery that you're going to highlight, so why don't you start off? Uh, Yeah, I got a beer as rare as it is. I I certainly follow beer. Folks uh, who listen know that and enjoy lots of different beers, enjoy sampling and trying, and I have a beer from a brewery that I have never heard of, which is always exciting because it's not far from home. It's called Everybody's Brewing. And it's in White Salmon, Washington, which, if you're not familiar with the geography of Washington State, is right down on the southern border, uh, just north of Hood River, uh, separated by the Columbia River from Oregon. And this is their Imaginary Friends Winter IPA, uh, 7.1 alcohol by volume. Um, IBU's not in the JB-approved territory, 75, so sounds like it's going to have a little bit of a bite. Um, But some great art on the can of a guy dragging a a cut evergreen through the snow towards a mountain. Very wintry feel to it, so I'm excited. Something new is always fun. Uh, Excellent. I mean, I'm really excited for you, but I have you beat. Oh, well, that's even better because, you know, if a good thing gets beat by a better thing, that's totally fine as long as we're not talking about the Bears. Well, I am drinking a beer from Tighthead Brewing Company. Oh, and it is oh. I know long, what this is. Long Snapper IPA. It is the Patrick Manley IPA. So uh, the can art is amazing. It's got uh, Manley... Uh, in his snapping form with the football on top of what looks like uh, maybe like an El Camino. And it's got a keg, a tight head beer keg in the back. Uh, and so uh, the description says, Long Snapper is a West Coast style IPA brewed in collaboration with Long Snapper Patrick Manley, the longest tenured player in Chicago Bears history, designed a recipe together based on Pat's favorite beer styles, and it will be released for the inaugural Patrick Manley Award given to the Outstanding College Long Snapper of the Year. Uh, and it goes into describe the beer as uh, ample base with a Vienna malt accented by caramel notes from uh, some other malts um, hopped with a trio of Northwest hops uh, and uh, says a well-balanced, crushable beer. And why I'm even more excited, as you know, I'm not the biggest IPA guy, the IBUs on this thing are only 40. Well, with a caramely so, finish, that seems about right. From the description of what they've used, uh, it sounds very inviting. Yes, I'm. so I'm very excited about this. And uh, a big thank you uh, to Tighthead Brewing for hooking me up. I really appreciate it. And very excited about this, uh, to share this with everybody. If you get a chance to support them, I, I've been told that the beer is sold out. But uh, certainly support them. Um, and I think we need to start coming up with some other ideas for collaborations. And just just off the top of my head, I mean, I think 
Uh, Peanut Tillman needs to come in for a peanut peanut butter porter. Um, I, I think that that just has to happen. I'm thinking uh, Mongo, uh, Steve McMichael. We do like a, a mango Mongo sour. Um, and I'm thinking uh, what we do like a sweetness. Maybe get uh, you know Jared's son, yeah, Peyton's son Jared, come in and help out with a sweetness, like a sweet stout, something like that. I mean, we've got some possibilities here with a uh, with a whole line of bears themed beers. Yeah, absolutely. A deep roster of folks that could contribute. Uh, if if Peanut Tillman comes in and makes a peanut butter porter, um, I'm worried for you because I think your head will explode. Well, I mean, I, I think I would I would personally buy them out. You know, that, that would be my... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, so your be... wife's head would explode when she saw the bill. But either way, yes, I absolutely. think that would be your happiest happy place. That would be amazing. So, yeah, let's get these going. All right, uh, let's do it. Ado. So, yeah, I'm uh, very excited about this. Uh, again, they're very kind uh, to, to uh, send me a little bit of this uh, so I can share it on the pod. And... Uh, I hope that they keep doing these because this is pretty cool. And the art is phenomenal. Working with Whiskey Ranger, uh, you know, over the last year and uh, some stuff that I've done with the QB list, uh, Justin Paradis uh, over there, uh, who's a graphic designer. I know how amazing it is to be able to get good graphic design to you accompany uh, the work that you're doing. And it just really does put it over the top. So it's a it's a really cool can design uh, for Patrick Bannelly. Yeah, big shout out to to Will Whiskey Ranger uh, for doing our podcast logo as well. Uh, he sort of surprised us with that. Um, in his words, it was just a sketch. In our minds, it was <laughs> the most polished pro art we'd ever seen, and exactly probably what we would have asked for if we'd known how. If we'd and know how to ask, exactly. It was just it was one of those perfect things that drops out of you on the blue. Um, and has been tremendous. So yeah, big big shout out to Whiskey Ranger for that work. Uh, he was very kind to deliver it to us, and we love it. So uh, more of that hopefully yeah, in the future. For, for what it's worth, he designed uh, Bill Zimmerman's uh, podcast logo and Lester's logo as well. So if you see any different logo on any of the podcasts, that's actually Will um, doing that besides uh, the Bear With Me logo, which Robert brought in with himself so um first first taste actually it's good i mean i'm I'm enjoying again not an ipa guy but it's not overwhelmingly bitter with an ibu of 40 that's that's uh, under my danger zone so um it's a it's a good start so i'm excited for it so yeah mine's pretty uh, good it's got a little bit on the back end we'll talk more about that but um it doesn't i don't think it rings true to that high 75 ibu at least not at first taste so we'll see how it goes after the can it is a 16 ounce can i didn't mention that so uh you know the the vikings preview might be more fun than the chiefs review but that might be a fact anyways (laughs) well this is a this is a full pint as well and it's six six percent though so it's a you know not going to be too much of a problem so all right so let's let's get into this game and you know in the last few episodes i've been trying to give a recap based on you know the scoring and some big plays and everything and and look uh, I'm not going to do that with this one <laughs> the bears got just manhandled by the chiefs just absolutely destroyed and i don't know how you felt watching this game but i i felt like this was the exact game that i that we talked about this was exactly what i thought was going to happen i guess i could have seen a little bit closer and the score maybe 
one offensive touchdown. You know, I, I, I think when they got inside the 10, uh, when the Bears got inside the 10, then they converted that and would have finished up something like 26 to 10. I would have felt like, yeah, that's probably what I w- what I had in mind. But it didn't work out that way. 26 to 3, Bears dropped to 7 and 8. And I guess my, my number one point is I think this Chiefs team is who we thought the Bears could be this year. And I think that's what you get or what's what you want when you're trying to pick fruit from the Andy Reid tree, which is what Matt Nagy was, um, you know, supposed to bring to the Bears and certainly did last year. But watching this Chiefs team operate with a with a really crisp and impressive offense and a defense that has really stepped up in the last six weeks. Um, this is the this is the this is exactly the model that I think Bears fans wanted to see out of the Bears this year, but we just saw it in red and yellow. Yeah, I don't disagree in terms of this is what you want when you pick fruit from the Andy Reid tree, which is a great line. It's it's absolutely true. You want the diversity. The Chiefs have a wide array, uh, diverse array of offensive playmakers, and they all seem to be schemed to utilize what they're best at and they just kind of alternate. They kind of go around the horn and distribute those plays to folks who've been put in really good situations. And that is what we were all looking for uh, in the preseason. Um, that's what we were expecting early in the season. We expected the Bears' offense to come out on all cylinders and use this wide array of diverse offensive talent that they have indeed assembled. And like you said, that's not what we have seen. It is very interesting to watch it occur on the other side of the field in sort of a mirror image and say, ah, that's what we thought we were going to get. So I would agree with you there. Well, and it's just it was it's so crystallized exactly what we've been talking about, but just how important the tight end is in that offense and and I think you can make a case for the Bears really needing to add a speed element to stretch the field um, as well because that really helped out Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs on Sunday night as well. So I think those are those are two things that I think we need to push to the top if they weren't already uh, to the priorities, which is that playmaking tight end and maybe uh, add some speed on the outside. But I, I think. Um, to switch to the other side of the ball, when you talk about uh, the Bears defense, you know, the Bears defense has been really good all year for the most part. Uh, but one of the things that I think I've noticed as a bit of a trend is that they struggle a little bit to get off the field on some favorable down and distances, you know, some third and longs and they're allowing some conversions. And yeah, I get it. It's Patrick Mahomes. And this Chiefs offense, and they're really good. But this game could have been actually kind of interesting for at least a little while if the Bears would have been able to get off the field, and they just they just couldn't get it done. Yeah, I think that's a commentary on the Bears' defense and Patrick Mahomes himself. Not just the Chiefs' offense, but specifically Patrick Mahomes. Because if you go back and watch some of the game, especially in the first half, there were times that the defense, Chicago's defense, definitely altered the play. They got in Mahomes' face. They made him move. He couldn't just stand there comfortably and deliver the ball. Mahomes is very, very good at moving and distributing even at the last second. And there were three or four plays specifically in the first half where he was, you you wouldn't say in the grasp because he wasn't, but he was about 
a third of a second away from being in the grasp, and he just flipped a ball to uh, like Kelsey on a hook pattern or uh, Mikol Hardman coming back from a longer route, and what would have been, you know, quite possibly a half second later a seven or eight or even a 10 yard loss because he'd run around and retreated a little bit is now a five, six, seven, eight, 10, 12 yard gain. And he did it consistently. And so it's not that the defense wasn't getting there. It's that against most other quarterbacks, that's at best a throwaway. And against Mahomes, it's a completion on the stat sheet that puts you in very favorable down a distance for second down. And there are very few quarterbacks. I, I can't really think of another one. I've seen Rodgers do it on occasion. He doesn't do it as much anymore. Russell Wilson will do it occasionally as well. There are just very few guys that can run around like that when the protection's breaking down, reset two or three times, and then make an off-balance throw that hits a guy perfectly in the numbers and gives you a good six, eight yards, which is a fine chunk to move your offense and keep it on schedule. Now that's – I'm so glad you brought up Rodgers because the Bears played Rodgers and Mahomes back back to back so the difference between the two that from what I could see and again the Bears lost both games um, but the reason why it was so much closer in the Packers game is because when the Bears were getting close with pressure and Rodgers was uh, honestly frustrating them by getting rid of it he was just getting rid of it he wasn't doing anything productive with it. He was just avoiding a negative play, which is a great play by a quarterback to avoid a negative play. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the <laughs> number 10 for the Bears likes to just step out of bounds for sacks, you know, that, to lesser Wilt Fong's uh, dismay. But, you know, Rodgers was close to taking a few sacks against the Bears and just was able to get rid of the ball. It's very frustrating. Patrick Mahomes does it, but he gets rid of the ball into the hands of a receiver 10, 15 yards down the field. That is special. And and I think you're right. The only other guy that I can really think of that's that does that in a consistent manner is uh, is Russell Wilson. And that's why Patrick Mahomes won the MVP last year and why Russell Wilson's the only other player being talked about with any kind of chance in the last couple weeks to win the MVP this year. We all know it's going to go to Lamar Jackson. Uh, but at least some people are at least trying to hold up the the flag for for Russell Wilson, and so it was it was amazing to watch it. I mean, just as a football fan, and maybe it's because I went in with expectations that this game just wasn't going to be particularly close. But being able to watch Patrick Mahomes operate that offense and avoid you know someone like Khalil Mack who got one sack should have had another. Uh, and able to get away from from those uh, rushers and and make productive plays. It's it's really impressive. Yeah, impressive and rare, and you made that point. And the thing about Mahomes that makes it even more special, uh, which sounds like a superlative, and it really is, is he makes it look easy. He doesn't look flustered when that happens. He doesn't look terribly frustrated. He looks like that guy that you could never beat on the playground who was always just like I got this and put the ball right on the dime and you know was always picked first because of it and you know he's doing that against the best athletes in the world and looking pretty casual and relaxed and that certainly seems his personality he seems pretty easy going but he just stays that way in these incredibly high pressure moments and delivers and that combination is 
just ultra rare. Uh, those two things don't come together. We've seen guys that are incredibly clutch, but they look pretty tense. Uh, you know, they barely get it done. Uh, they take a nasty hit afterwards. Any of that, that's uh, not common, but more common. To be able to kind of just dance through the defense and then, like you said, not only avoid the negative play, but on top of that, make a highly productive positive play with regularity and not really ever looking like you're getting, you know, clobbered. Right. Just doesn't happen very often. That's like Carson Wentz is a good example of someone who is able to stand in the pocket. I know he's having a mixed results year, but stand in the pocket and deliver a throw at the last second, but he's getting pummeled. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's been knocked out of seasons before because of this, but it, because of his playing style. But, you know, that that's a little bit more common. And he's still a very good quarterback. It was a little more common. But this Houdini act, it's it's unbelievable. So, uh, yeah. And, and I think as Bears fans, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Bears fans don't care about the playoffs now. Maybe they don't have any rooting interest. But I think, you know, give Kansas City a, a look. They're another Midwestern team. And. Andy Reid's a you know one of the most winningest coaches in NFL history, and he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. I'm I'm kind of rooting for that. I, I mean, I'm rooting for the Ravens as well, just because I'm so enamored with what they've done around Lamar Jackson. But um, you know, I think they're worth they're worth at least considering as as we move into the playoffs, and they'll have a an interesting road to navigate as well. They'll almost certainly have to uh, travel to New England in the second round if they're able to hold off the in the first round so uh should be uh, should be pretty interesting on the afc side of that but uh, a little bit more to talk about in this game i just want to say uh, as we flip around on the offense i we again we talked about this on the show i think we predicted this quite well the offense found some efficiency when they were running the ball uh but <laughs> they got behind early and they kind of they didn't really stick with the run and then they reverted back to just some early season woes in the passing game. And I think I alluded to it earlier, but the the most frustrated that I was was that first and goal from, I think, the five and four plays and couldn't move the ball at all. And I think whatever happens in this offseason, Nagy needs to really focus on what he's doing on the goal line. This is a tremendous point. I'm really glad you brought it up. There's a lot to point to the offense that needs help needs work, needs changing. Uh, there's person up, personnel upgrades. We've talked about that at tight end. There's schematic upgrades. There's certainly quarterback play upgrades. Everybody is, is quite frank on that. Running game upgrades. There's no shortage of things that need to be done to this offense. It really is sort of widely scattered disappointment. But I think goal line performance might get lost a little bit in that equation. And I'm glad you put your finger on it because the Bears have been abysmal in goal line situations this year pretty consistently, even in the games where the offense played pretty well. If they didn't score from farther out, the Bears have been uh, sort of decreasing efficiency offense from the 20 yards in and from 10 yards in to the goal line. They've been really terrible. It almost looks like Nagy locks up, gets super predictable, doesn't try and throw any curveballs in terms of scheme or alignment. And they just kind of slam it at you and go, oh, well, we didn't get it. And it's been terribly disappointing all year and, and somewhat easily overlooked because of all the other issues. If that was their only issue, that would be one thing. 
But it's so important because the goal line and the red zone really is where you're going to score those points. And the Bears have not been able to flex consistently to do that this season. And it's a big deal. Yeah, when you're playing in one-score games, that difference between seven and three points is huge. And it can change the outcome of a lot of games. or And certainly it can change just the way that the in-game is played. Uh, you know, moving into the fourth quarter, if you're able to have a lead or, you know, stretch it to a two score lead, it really changes the calculus. So um, it, it's something that needs to happen. And again, I think, you know, you hope that if you're invested in Matt Nagy, which I think that we both are, because he's shown a lot as a head coach, you hope that he goes through the offseason, the long offseason, since he'll be uh, sitting at home during the playoffs. And he takes a look at all the things that he's not doing well. He self scouts. And then he figures out what it is that he needs to do to get better as a play caller, get better as a play designer, get put people in positions to succeed, whatever that is, or and or bring in someone to help him out with that. And so I think that's got to be a focus in the offseason. And one of those things is the running game. And one of those things is goal line work. Those two things might go together, uh, but those two things need to be points of emphasis. Completely agree. Uh, running game is foundational and I think will have a sort of larger impact on the overall offensive efficiency. But if they do that and don't put some serious concentration on the types of alignment, formation, movement, uh, personnel packages that they can vary at the goal line to try and pry a defense apart, because look, it's much harder when you pack a defense into a contained space they now basically have an extra defender at the back of the end zone that they can use or let receivers go to in a different way. And it gets very difficult to score points. The Bears are not the only team with this issue, but that means you need to be even more creative. And the Bears have kind of trended the opposite way. They've been even less creative in that area, which makes them easier to defend. It makes them tougher, uh, makes it tougher for them to score those points. And a lot of concentration has got to be put to that. I would say almost an equal amount as to the running game, and the running game has some very large issues. But if they don't do that, their effective running game offense uh, hopefully is going to be able to carry them down the field, and then they're going to do the same thing next year. And it's going to result in in similar outcomes where they either score three when they should have scored seven or don't score any at all uh, in the case of a missed field goal. And that's just not going to be acceptable for this team as it's built. Yeah. And yeah, field goal. <laughs> okay. Uh, we won't get into more kicking stuff, but so last point I want to make about this game is Khalil Mack after the game. And then there was other players that came in as well, but Khalil Mack said that he was embarrassed and, and I, Look, it was it was an embarrassing defeat. I, I I agree with that. I don't know. I just kind of anticipated it, so I'm not like super shocked about it. But obviously, Will Mack was not pleased with himself or the team's effort. And to me, that spoke to being a leader, being accountable. And I think this is something that can be used as a motivator into the future. And I I know that some of that can be spun in a very negative way. You know, oh, no kidding, you're embarrassed. You should be, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and I get it. I, I get the people that are angry and piling on top of that. But I think that when you're trying to look for silver linings in a season, you know, full of dark gray clouds, I, I think that for me, I like it when I see the locker room stick together under negative, situ- uh, you know, a negative situation. And I like it when I see a leader take ownership 
and you know put words to what we're all thinking and want to make things better and so to me like Khalil Mack is just proving what I've thought of him for a long time which is that he really is uh, a leader in this locker room in this team and moving forward um, I think this is something that can help rather than you know push them down into a negative rabbit hole yeah I'm more neutral on it. I, I'm definitely agreeing with you on the positive. It's the stand-up thing to do. Not all players do it. Some guys sulk and don't give interviews and leave the locker room quickly. That's not Khalil Mack. He's not particularly wordy, but he absolutely stood there and, and took the negative shots or, or took the heat for what has happened to this Bears team all season and certainly what happened to them quite frankly under the bright lights in front of the chiefs the you know the entire night game the entire nfl is watching and i believe he should do that and he did and he deserves points for that the the flip side of me is not the you should be embarrassed it's lost in this lost season is khalil max sort of disappearing act from the stat sheet over a long period of time as clearly one of the best defenders in the NFL coming in this season and really for the most part has not found a way to get it done in the second half of the season and I understand there's losses on defense and those you know personnel losses on defense there's also schematic stuff that he's not in control of how Pagano uses him but a guy we're going to talk a little bit about in the second half, Zedarius Smith, uh, had a major game against the Vikings. And I don't think if you put a poll out and said, who's a better player, Zedarius Smith or Khalil Mack, uh, that anybody would say Zedarius Smith, at least not anybody that I know. But the the bottom line is Zedarius Smith has played uh, as well or better than Khalil Mack in the Packers scheme, which is different, different coaching you know, systems, different lineups, different setups. But the bottom line is that guy's been playing better over the last month than Khalil Mack. And that's that's not a great thing. Mack's, uh, he's been effective. We've talked about this all season. He's been holding his role. He's still defending the run. He's still playing hard. He's still absolutely trying and impacting the game. Like I said earlier, he did move Mahomes several times that he didn't end up getting the sack. And that was more a plus to Mahomes than a minus to Mack. But if you look at the sum total of the season, both teams and players kind of are who you thought they are based on what's happened. And the bottom line is Mac has not been as effective for the back three quarters of this season as I think anybody thought he was going to be. And that's that's a thing which isn't getting a lot of press because Mac's a stand-up guy. He's a very good player. He's still playing hard. He certainly hasn't quit. But the bottom line is, eh, if you said this was what you expected out of Khalil Mack in total, I think you were probably shooting low at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and we've talked about this a little bit offline, but I'm going to go the other way. And I'm going to say that I think all of the auxiliary stats – uh, the pressures, the you know, the quarterback hits and things like that—they're all there. The sacks are not, and I think that if a couple of those go his way, you know, we've seen a couple of guys barely get out of sacks from Mac. I think, I mean, I can think of just in my head three or four where a quarterback nearly escaped. You know, okay, let's say you just give him those, and we're at twelve and a half, and no one's really talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that part of the problem is we don't have a lot of good statistics to uh, track, you know, edge rushers besides the sack. And so it all kind of comes down to that one number. And I understand that. Now, the other piece of this is that he was playing incredibly well 
and then Akeem Hicks got hurt and was out of the lineup for a good deal of the season, and then his effectiveness went down because offenses can try to scheme away one edge rusher much better than they can when they're trying to deal with Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack. And so he said, well, if he's that great, then he could be able to impact the game all his own. But now we're back to the situation that he was in in Oakland where John Gruden comes in and says, well, this defense wasn't very good with Khalil Mack, so we can trade him and it's not that big of a deal, (laughs) right? And so we're kind of in this weird situation where he was really the only legitimately good player on the Oakland defense, and he didn't put up great numbers. He comes to Chicago, he gets on a good defense, and he's playing – he played extremely well in 2018. 2019, he comes out, he's playing well. Hicks gets hurt, and then all of a sudden he's not as effective. Blau Nichols never really came back strong from his injury, so we didn't see you know a secondary player there. You know, uh, For all the good that Leonard Floyd does, he's just not a very good pass rusher. You know, we didn't see a lot of secondary pass rushers step up to help him out. And then a lot of times I do think there's a little bit to do with scheme where he takes that wide nine. He's out really far. You put a tight end on him. He's got to go like a longer distance to get pressure. And you just wonder if it's not better off to try to move him in a little bit. And he's so strong to try to see if he can impact the game with some inside moves or try to get get himself you know, a a shorter path to the quarterback. So I I do kind of question the way that he's been used a little bit as well. And, you know, anytime that you drop Clomac back at pass coverage, I think is a, is a dumb idea. Um, No offense. I'm sure that I'm sure that there are smart football people that would call that comment very dumb, but I think that that's a, that's a gift to to the offense when you're not letting Clomac do what he, he does best. You know, this is, this is a, this is a T-Rex, right? I mean, you just, just let him go, man. And, and, uh, and so, I think that there's there's a lot of context, and maybe that sounds like I'm making an excuses for for Clomac and why his sack numbers aren't there. But I, when everything else is there, the auxiliary numbers are still there, uh, but the sack numbers aren't, and you have no real rushing partner. I think that that's that to me that explains it. Yeah, it all contributes. I agree, and you know it speaks to a couple of things. One that you brought up is how great is Akeem Hicks that not only Mac drops off effectiveness wise pretty severely because you're right he was crushing it for the first month he was playing at an extremely high level and affecting games at a level that's quite different than the rest of the season when Hicks was healthy and at full strength but not only that all those auxiliary rushers who were having really good times when that duo was was wrecking offensive lines everybody thought Roy Robertson Harris was a lock for a large contract somewhere else he became yep. absolutely lost uh Eddie Goldman's had some success in the past I'm not sure he's not dealing with an injury but his pass rushing which was limited before but definitely present has gone away almost completely uh Bilal Nichols was a rookie sensation last year again when both Max and Hick were playing Hicks were playing well Hicks goes out we've heard basically nothing from Bilal Nichols since he returned from his injury full strength uh, or at least as full of strength as you know needs to be to get on the field. And so that speaks a lot to Hicks. And the usage is another one. I'm with you that it limits Max effectiveness when you play him essentially one way, always out on the edge. 
and notably the guy that we're going to talk about in a bit, Zedaria Smith, got uh, a couple sacks in the last couple of weeks playing inside pressure, beating the center one-on-one, looping over the top. And, you know, could Mac do that? Absolutely. As you mentioned, he is just bull or ox strong, and he's going to beat uh, an average center more often than he's not if you can get him anywhere near one-on-one with that guy and that's the other thing about being outside and doubled and triple teamed all the time is even if you move inside when you get a true one-on-one assignment you're thinking you just got to be licking your lips as a Khalil Mack thinking oh yeah this is a lot easier than what I do typically so varying usage is part of it supporting cast absolutely part of it Bottom line is some of those arguments go away when you're a top five defender, not edge rusher, but a top five defender in the NFL. People are still going to expect that you get it done. There's a lot of reasons that you haven't, but uh, it, it does balance. Am I super concerned? Do I think Mac is a waste of money or a bad player? No, no, no. That's absolutely not. Khalil Mack, like you said, still has the supporting statistics, is out there being a leader both in action and words absolutely love the fact that Khalil Mack is a bear but is his drop off even despite all the fact factors a little bit concerning to me I'd be lying if I said it wasn't fair enough um I'll uh I'm gonna I'm gonna be the biggest homer on Khalil Mack until he stops wearing navy and orange and I'll probably will go out of my way to defend him but that's that's how I'm seeing it more a little bit a little bit more of the half uh, glass half full, uh, rather than the glass half empty, which, um, I do want to make one comparison sure. and that is, uh, to me, it reminds me a lot of the San Francisco 49ers with Justin Smith and Alden Smith. Yep. And I obviously Khalil Mack is a much better player overall than Alden Smith, but Alden Smith put up huge sack numbers mainly because Justin Smith was taking care of a lot of the offensive linemen and occupying them on that defensive line for the Niners. And so having both of those guys rush together in concert is what allowed uh, Alden Smith to, to rack up big numbers. And so to me, you have this very strong force of nature like Akeem Hicks, who's very much like Justin Smith in, in a lot of ways. Um, that allows that other player to... Uh, be be that much better now more of the more of the focus is going to be on Khalil Mack uh, than it than it would be necessarily on Alden Smith but to me that's kind of the similarity is when Justin Smith went out of the lineup uh, I think he had like a torque peck at one point in his career or something like that mm-hmm. um, he uh, Alden Smith basically disappeared he, he did nothing and so to me that was a, a similar situation where they could easily scheme him out uh, uh, more easily scheme him out. Again, I don't think you can easily scheme him out Khalil Mack. I think it takes a concerted effort to work your offense away from Khalil Mack, which I think we've seen a lot of this year. But it's much harder to do that when Akeem Hicks is in the lineup. So anyway, I think there's precedent for it, and I think that's why you want both of those guys in the lineup at all times because they're both you know, top 20, top 25 defensive players in the league, and that's just you know incredible to have on one field. Yeah, it's great to watch. I can't wait till they're both back to full strength. Uh, Certainly healing wishes to Akeem Hicks. Want to see him back. Um, We'll certainly stand for his abilities and and lean on the arguments we just made for the kind of impact he makes when he's on the field versus when he's not. Want to see that continue? Uh, was bummed that we didn't get to see it for majority, but that's the them them's the breaks in the NFL. It's a rough game. 
All right. Well, speaking of half glasses, mine is half full or half empty, whichever you want to say it. But the show is half over. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get to the other half of the show. All right, EJ, we're back. So we've got one game left on the schedule. It's becoming a seems like a bit of an annual tradition that the Bears close with the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota in week 17. Uh, and that's what's going on this year. The Vikings are 10 and 5. They are locked into the sixth seed in the NFC playoffs. So no matter what they do against the Bears, they are going to be the sixth seed. I think that they will likely be traveling to New Orleans in the first round. Um, the Packers were able to put them away fairly convincingly last week, and so that sealed their fate. Uh, the Packers have the Lions coming up this week, so you have to assume that the Packers take care of business there because the Lions are just uh, dead at this point. And so <clears throat> the Packers look like they're going to be – oh, God, this is just disgusting to say, but – they're going to be the two seed, possibly the one seed, um, which, ugh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, unbelievably, we might have three 13 and three teams in the NFC, <clears throat> um, New Orleans being one of them, and they may be the three seed, which is which is kind of crazy. But uh, so, a, a very good New Orleans team is awaiting this this Vikings team in all likelihood for the first round. And so the Vikings have absolutely nothing to game for in this game. So to me, and I haven't really heard much. Uh, we're sitting here on Thursday. Have you heard much about what the Vikings plan to do with their starters? Uh, I've not. And I don't know that I would trust it. If I did, uh, the sure. Vikings regime has not been um, incredibly forthcoming about that stuff. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see an extensive sit list, even if they say they're not going to. It just doesn't make any sense to no, endanger doesn't. your top-level starters going into a tough playoff matchup for a game that, like you said, has zero impact on anything that happens after it. So I think that you can expect Kirk Cousins to sit, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, Dalvin Cook certainly going to uh, sit. He's he's working his way back from an injury. His backup uh, running back, uh, Alexander Madison, I believe will also uh, not play because he's coming back from an injury. So uh, Mike Boone will be most likely uh, getting all of their carries. I don't think that you can expect to see many of their frontline starters on defense. Obviously, you can't sit everybody. Somebody's got to play. But if you're a top-line uh, starter on this Vikings team, I don't think you're going to see the field. You probably come out for warmups. Maybe you don't even do that. You're just hanging out in street clothes. But this is going to be a bye week for a lot of the Vikings players. So I think that the Bears should absolutely care about this game. And I and I and I get it. I get the arguments otherwise. But there's something that you can build off of anytime you got a football game. There's something positive that you can get out of it and go into the offseason on a win. Even if it's meaningless, fine. But I think there's some positives that we can have there. One, a win allows the Bears to avoid a losing record. So a win on Sunday puts the Bears at 8-8. Eight and eight. And So even if it's a hollow victory, this allows Nagy to improve to 4-0 and against the Vikings and 9-3 and in the division since becoming the head coach. Now, 
five years from now, when you look back on this season, and yes, you'll think of it as a disappointment, but eight and eight looks better than seven, nine. And when they flash those records up on the screen, those records stick with you, even if they were meaning meaningless games. And so to me, I, I think there is something positive to, to move forward with. And I think beating a division rival, even if they're playing their backups, I think it's just something that you need to do. And so that's kind of my big picture thoughts. I have literally two things that I want to see from this game. I'm going to be there in person. So there are two things that I'm looking for and they're kind of, uh, you know, hopeful and they're not going to happen, but like, these are the things that I want. But before I get to those big picture thoughts on this game from you, I'm half and half again, this is a sort of, uh, we can title this episode glass half full glass, half empty. I want to see the Bears go out and compete. Uh, it would be nice if they won, certainly for Matt Nagy to avoid having a losing record season on his record. Um, for the Bears, again, to hand it to a division rival, even if they're playing their backups, it's nice. The players want to win. They work hard every week. Uh, they sacrifice their bodies. I want to see him win for those reasons. And if they win, let's be honest, the Raiders pick in the first round gets a little bit worse that's a plus or those i should say are the pluses the downsides uh of them i would love to see them compete no matter what i don't want to see them give up or quote unquote tank if they played hard and lost by three at the end uh i would not be upset it makes every other pick besides the first round uh, a little bit better marginally better and uh, that's that's the only upside really to losing a football game uh, the, again no seeding is at stake here the bears season is done after they play the vikings no matter what i hope nobody gets hurt that's my thing i want everybody sure. to stay healthy on both sides quite frankly because you know sending a team from the division into the playoffs wounded doesn't really serve anybody um, i'm certainly no vikings fan but i can you know root for the nfc central to to play well and do well um as as you know or the nfc north to play well oh i was i know oh, you I were going so gonna i was ready to bounce on that yeah oh yeah, yeah. yeah. you, you picking picking a new division right? ej um as you know with one caveat because a lot of people will jump on that i i will never root for the packers to to win the super bowl i i just i can't you know there's i'm pretty objective i'm pretty open-minded about you know good teams playing well and getting what they deserve uh, i think the packers are a good team i don't think they are the team of their record especially this year and let's be honest they get a lot of breaks they get some breaks from the officials they get way more breaks in what's not called on their offensive line their offensive line are habitual holders uh that that doesn't even that's not even an argument we can have there's plenty of photographic evidence that shows it happening doesn't get called i i just i'm not gonna root for the packers to win the super bowl let's let's be honest about that but you know, sending the Vikings in, say, you know, if they were silly enough to put Cousins in and he got hurt, that would just be bad for football, bad for everybody. Like the Vikings without their starting quarterback in the playoffs is not a good experience for the league, for the viewers, for the team going against them. I mean, I'm sure they'll take the win, but, you know, that's not a great thing. So I hope everybody comes out healthy. I hope the Bears play hard. Uh, if they win, there's definitely advantages. We've talked about that. If they lose, the majority of their draft picks will be a little better. Uh, than if they won. 
Um, overall, still a lost season. Uh, you know, even if they come out even, I certainly like the symmetry of, of eight and eight a lot better than seven and nine. So I hope they play hard. If they come out with a victory, that's fine. If they come out with a loss, the one silver lining, as you said earlier, in a in a season of dark clouds, is you know rounds two through seven get a little bit better. All right. So like I said, I'm going to be at this game. Uh, very nice of uh, one of our. Uh, readers of the website maybe listener of the podcast uh decided to give up his tickets and give them to someone on staff and i am gladly taking them so thank you for that we will certainly take tickets uh just like we would take beer recommendations but we would take tickets to more games if people want to give them away but we i will be there for that and this is what i want to see one i'd like to see the bears win obviously two I would like to see Clomac get one and a half sacks so that he would have 10 for the year. So it's a very specific request. But uh, again, we've alluded to this a few times in this show. Uh, Zadarius Smith had three and a half on Monday Night Football against the Vikings with their starters in there, with uh, a lot on the line, with Kirk Cousins behind under center. I assume this is going to be a Sean Mannion game. So I would think that you know, an inexperienced backup might hold on to the ball a little more. Maybe they won't call a lot of passing plays. Maybe they'll just be content with handing it off and punting and just trying to get out of there healthy. But I'm interested in seeing Khalil Mack get above 10 because that seems to be the, you know, round number that everybody wants to see from an edge rusher. It's like, well, he, you know, he had at least 10 sacks. So that's number one that I want to see. The other thing I want to see is a little bit harder to imagine just because this would be his season high, but I would like to see Allen Robinson get 11 catches to get him hundred on the year. And I would like to see him get 124 yards to get him to 1200 yards on the year. Uh, again, a little bit of an ask, but that's, that's what I'm going in hoping for uh, as I'm watching this game live in the U S bank stadium. I think the 11 catches is, it's high, obviously, but it's possible. The 124, I'd be a bit surprised by. And if you, even if Allen Robinson doesn't get to 1,200, if he's at 1,100-something, that's great. Um, the, the 100 catches, obviously a nice round number, kind of like 10 sacks. We can both agree Allen Robinson has had a great season despite circumstances. But the thing I'm honestly most surprised that you didn't mention well twofold the first is what's your connection to sean mannion well he's an oregon state grad ding ding i'm stunned you didn't mention it so that's the first one (laughs) well he's a viking i get it uh hasn't stopped you in the past let's be honest that's fair and uh second something i forgot to mention as well so this is as much on me as it is on you uh, what's the real reason we want the Bears to win? <laughs> I mean, besides just like no, besides besides the gut instinct and and lifelong fandom. Oh, bragging rights over Ted Glover, who we had as a well, guest on the sure. show. Like that sure. will be a much better off season if we go out with a win. He can claim it's a meaningless game. That's fine. We'll just take the win. Thank you. <laughs> Well, so just uh, I'm looking at Robinson's game log, and he has had 124 yards or more than 124 yards twice this year, but he's had his top t- catch total is 10 yeah. back in that 
New Orleans game. So so just from the game log, it's more likely that he gets 124 yards. Oh, well, either way, I would be happy to see him hit either number. Uh, if he comes up sub-100 catches but breaks 1,200 yards, really yeah. happy with that. If he comes up... Uh, 100 catches or more, uh, which is a little bit unlikely, but doesn't quite crack 1,200 again. Super thrilled with Allen Robinson. Uh, just won the annual Good Guy Award from the Chicago Press today as the guy that's been uh, sort of most helpful and cooperative to the to the Chicago Press and most open. Um, I think well-deserved uh, Robinson's behavior has been uh, extremely professional, and I would say above and beyond that, which is probably why he won the award. So, Allen Robinson, good guy who we've been rooting for since the beginning of the season, has had a very good season despite some crappy circumstances, has been there, has been a rock, has been extremely healthy as the sort of alpha receiver for Chicago, which is something that uh, the last couple of alpha receivers for Chicago have struggled with. Both Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey definitely had some availability issues. And uh, it's been extremely refreshing to see Allen Robinson both on and off the field. So obviously huge fans of him on the podcast and wish him all the success in the world against the Vikings. Yeah, I would say that we're the number one podcast fans of Allen Robinson, and that might be true, but if you guys have not listened to Allen Robinson on Bill Zimmerman's show, make sure that you guys go back and, and download that one and listen to it. Great uh, great guest and great interview that Bill was uh, able to get on the Windy City Gridiron Network. So uh, pretty cool that we're like one degree of separation away from talking to Allen Robinson. <laughs> I uh, or two okay. No, that's cool. I'll take yeah, it. I'm gonna live, I'll live vicariously through other podcasters. Yes. So uh, that's. I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's nothing on the line. I think uh, we'll see how Minnesota nice people are to the to the Bears fan that's you know decked out in navy and orange. That you know, uh, I've been there before with <laughs> for Bears games, uh, and people aren't so nice when things are on the line. But we'll see if they're a little kinder when they've got a. Uh, a playoff spot secured or if they're just going to do the passive aggressive Midwest thing and make fun of me the whole time. Uh, that's actually what I think is going to happen. They're, they're going to say snide comments in a very passive aggressive manner. You know, like, well, at least uh, Kirk Cousins isn't Mitchell Trubisky. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that I anticipate to hear in my general vicinity while I watch this game, but very excited to go up and, and watch the bears at least once this year live, even if it's in a meaningless game. And, uh, yeah, uh, let's, uh, you know, let's try to end it on a positive note and see if we can get something out of it that we can build on in the offseason. Yeah, I'm all for that. And, hey, you're going, so I hope they win. It's always better when you, you know, do go out of your way, even if it's free tickets, to, to show up at a game and, and root, root for your team, especially in a sort of hostile enemy environment. And it's always pretty cool if they can pry a victory out no matter the circumstances. So I'm hoping that happens for you as much as anything. How was your beer? You know, I uh, I like it. I you know, it's uh, it's not it doesn't have that you know hard bitter aftertaste like a lot of IPAs do. And again, it kind of goes back to that IBUs of being at the forty mark, which I think is uh, is good for me. But it's got a it's got a nice uh, hoppy uh, nose to it, but it's not again not bitter on the back end, and it's been refreshing. And I've I haven't. I wouldn't say that I've crushed it, like they say that it's crushable. But I'm, 
you know, 80% done with it uh, <laughs> over the course of the 50 minutes that we've been recording. So I'd say that that's pretty good. And, and, and again, I, this is not, I'm not the key demographic for this. I mean, I'm the key demographic and then I would buy them because it has a bears player on the cover art, but this is not the type of beer that I normally drink, but I think it's good. And so if you are at all into the IPAs, I say, you know, make sure that you make this something that you uh, search for. And if nothing else, make sure that you're supporting Tighthead Brewing Company for doing cool stuff. And hopefully they continue to develop more partnerships. Cool. That's a um, – well, you? I'm wishing I had yours just because it's really cool, not because mine's bad. I am impressed. Uh, oftentimes when you see new – independent small brewers uh they struggle with a couple of things the most notable being consistency and i can't speak to consistency because i've only had this one and the other one is balance (laughs) they get a lot of flavors in there or they get a lot of sort of actions going on in how they age the beer they don't always play nice um they sort of fight or don't work well together absolutely not the case here uh everybody's brewing's done a great job of making this a very sort of unified experience it's a nice dark winter ale definitely drinkable i wouldn't quite say sessionable just because it's over seven percent there's a little bit of um ibu aftertaste at the end but it's not overpowering and the beer is really really good and solid and works sort of start to finish very drinkable just a good straight dark almost like a cda style like a cascadian dark ale and uh i like it i've got uh four more of these uh sitting around i gave one to a friend so they could experience as well and i am not at all um uh, reticent to drink the rest of them. I think I'll enjoy every one of them. So it's always great to find a new brewery. It's even better when they produce good stuff, and it looks like everybody's brewing's done a good job with their imaginary friends winter IPA. Well, excellent. Well, a little programming note. I think next week we're planning on having it be our final show of the season since the Bears season will be over. We'll wrap up the Minnesota Vikings game, and then we'll also – wrap up some bets some season-long bets bum, bum, that we had, which i'm pretty sure i'm gonna lose but that's okay and then i think that we'll get into a little playoff predictions and we'll make our ej and i will both uh, talk through the playoff bracket and give you our super bowl champions that we believe are gonna emerge victorious so uh make sure you stick around for that and finish out the season with us and with that ej you want to get out of this episode so uh as jeff has mentioned several times on the episode we are on the windy city gridiron podcasting channel along with bill zimmerman and robert schmitz their podcasts are fantastic definitely check them out if you haven't uh you can find work occasionally from jeff showing up in written form on windy city gridiron as well mine will start to crank up there as we get into draft season you can follow the pod at bears over beers on twitter you can follow jeff at gridironborn you can follow me at the draftsman fb as in football and until then uh go ahead and watch the vikings game with limited expectations on both sides hopefully you find something you enjoy if you don't just go ahead and turn it off and go for a walk it's not going to change the bears outcome but until then grab a good beer that you like and simply bear down